informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend. Weather is a big, big story this week, of course. We'll be talking with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson in just a bit. Also joining us today to help us kick off the week, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson, will join us. want to get his thoughts on the government back up and going and uh, what he sees as the priorities for this Congress in general and the Ag Committee in particular for this coming year. So we'll get his thoughts on some key issues. And, of course, a big focus this week will be on talks with China. We're going to talk with the Senior Vice President of the U.S. Business, U.S.-China Business Council, Erin Ennis, will join us. She's just back from China, just got back uh, over the weekend. Get her thoughts on her trip to China, what she found out and heard there, and her thoughts as we kind of preview uh, this week's talks with China, very important talks for sure. So all that coming up on today's program. Also, very happy to welcome another affiliate to Adams on Agriculture. We welcome KKOW, 860 AM in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Great station there. It's great to be back on. KKOW, welcome aboard to Adams on Agriculture. Well, let's start things off by... Checking in with Sarah Wyant, editor and public and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Uh, are you staying warm? I sure am, Mike. But uh, gosh, I think it's going to be a long week for these wind chills and temps that are predicted to come our way. So happy to be with you today. Yeah, going to be a real challenge, and uh, uh, wish everyone the best in battling these conditions. Be careful out there. All right, Sarah, the the federal government restarting today. It's going to be interesting to see how that restart, pro, uh, you know, that process goes. Uh, might be a little bumpy and shaky in places, but hopefully they can get things going pretty quickly. Well, that's certainly the goal. You know, this has been the longest government shutdown we've ever experienced, and. And they've got three weeks for a team of 17 congressional negotiators to see if they can work their way through this controversy about whether there should be funding for the border wall or border security and, and of course, all the other funding that needs to take place for agencies like USDA and FDA and and, and get these appropriations measures moving. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of process they employ, but certainly they've got a lot of work ahead of them to try to get the government funded once again. Yeah, and we have a three-week window now, so even with things getting back up and going, that clock is ticking and we'll be watching how things go and wondering if we're going to go through this all over again three weeks from now. Well, that's the concern. The president has already made comments that he's not confident he will be able to get sufficient funding for the border wall through these negotiations. But at least we do have this window, as you said, till February 15th, where government workers can get their back pay, uh, they can get back on the job. And, of course, farm bill implementation has also been largely stalled. And so there's going to be a big effort to try to jumpstart that at USDA make sure that the Farm Service Agency offices can get moving again and and um, the people who have to write software and all that can also get back online. 
All right. So I mentioned also that this will be a big week with talks with China. There's certainly a lot of any time the two sides talk, there's a lot of anticipation and uh, a lot of hope. Well, absolutely. And this is a bigger, I think, negotiation point in that the last time we had our undersecretary, Ted McKinney, and uh, trade negotiator Greg Dowd go over to China. This time we've got the country's vice premier, Li Hu, coming in, and, and he is going to be a key player in whatever can be getting to yes on these big trade negotiating standpoints. And a lot of it is agriculture, but as you know, Mike, it's also intellectual property. It's also about making sure that there is protection for our, our goods that are being sold over there. So there's a lot of things at stake. And uh, this, if it goes well, then I think that we can keep the ball moving through this uh, deadline that is now going to be to Mar- early March. Uh, but we really have to have this one go well to keep the ball advancing. Yeah, everyone will be looking at every every word that comes out of that, every report, every uh, every comment or statement, and people will be dissecting every word, reading between the lines. Uh, uh, so everyone will have their take on it. Absolutely, and so we'll be watching that very carefully. And of course, you know the government will also be up and running again during this three week period. We'll start to get some market reports. We'll get the WASI back. Uh, we'll start to see what some of the things that may have happened during the shutdown that uh, might have given us some other signals on what the Chinese are doing. Also, uh, you know, now that I think everything's kind of getting going again, I, we're going to start focusing more on that USMCA, that trade deal with uh, Canada and Mexico. And we're hearing some other groups starting to come out and say, need to change this, need to change that. There's still some work that has to be done to get this even ready to, to go to Congress for a vote, right? That's correct, and uh, our Bill Thompson is working on a story on this about absolutely everything that has to go on in the process of the negotiation. You know, there's certain things that USTR has to get in place, and then that's why everybody is starting to weigh in now on, well, you should move this, and you should add this, and we'd like these other protections. So you'll see these big wish lists come out from a lot of different interest groups, but uh, it's really going to be up to Mr. Lighthizer and the key congressional committees to see if they can strike some deals and advance the USMCA. Well, nothing gets done in Washington very easily, it seems like. And something as big as this, uh, well, there are probably going to be some pretty big battles ahead on this. I think so, but that's also why the uh, agricultural producers, your farmer and rancher and listeners, need to be in contact with their members of Congress if they support this deal. Uh, there's going to need to be a very large coalition of those that want to lift it up and get it passed. And so there's, uh, I think you'll hear a lot more from different commodity groups and trade associations in the next few weeks about the importance of getting a deal passed for agriculture that can preserve not only the deals that we did have in the past, but remove some of these barriers like steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico so we can get our pork moving more uh, efficiently and cost-effectively back into some of these markets. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of talk uh, as we can. We already know right now there'll be a lot of talk about uh, pulling out of NAFTA if 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 we don't approve this deal, and so there'll be a lot of back and forth for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, the president early on didn't want to be in the deal. He's a big fan of bilateral deals, not 
multilateral, uh, even though this one has uh, served American agriculture in many respects pretty well. Uh, so we'd like to be able to keep the gains that were uh, made for the dairy producers, for wheat growers, and with Canada especially, and uh, make sure that, uh, again, many of our corn and uh, pork products can move without these big tariffs that's been imposed. It's just not going to be cost-effective for U.S. pork producers to remain with a kind of a barrier. All right, Sarah, thanks. Well, I'll see you this week in New Orleans for the NCBA convention. Spencer will be down there for us. Uh, so you'll see Spencer Chase, and I'll be in Washington this week. So um, looking forward to uh, catching up with you on down the road, Mike. Very good. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. Thanks. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, we brace for some uh, severe cold weather. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're bracing for this blast of Arctic air. Here to talk about it is DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, you were talking about this uh, at the beginning of the month, that this was coming. Um, now we brace uh, for it as it, it's upon us. Uh, what's the latest on how cold and how widespread is this going to be? Well, Mike, this this cold air, uh, this this bitter cold, is uh, pretty much uh, taking in the the eastern half of the northern plains. If I can uh, carve things up that way, and then uh, the entire Midwest, and all the way south, even into the Delta, um, the uh, the worst of the of the real cold is from uh, about the Missouri River Valley in central North Dakota, then east to the Great Lakes, and then south into uh, central Illinois. Uh, we're catching uh, a lot of it here in uh, eastern Nebraska and uh, into Iowa. So uh, it's, a, it's a real widespread uh, outbreak of, uh, of some of the coldest air that we've had in probably about, well, for sure, at least uh, five years. And uh, it could be the coldest in around 20 years, I mean, depending on, on where an individual is exactly. But um, the the run of it is all the way from the North Pole, clear south to the Gulf Coast. And uh, you can figure that pretty much east of the Rockies, uh, you're shivering uh, a lot today, and uh, you're going to be shivering throughout uh, much of the remainder of this uh, first half of the week for sure and probably all the way through the rest of the week uh, over the north-central part of the country. What are the conditions? What's the system that's set up to allow this to to happen? Well, we've uh, you know we we uh, kind of outlined it uh, in some previous uh, conversations. The first of all, there is a a polar vortex component to it, and uh, that's not just a a, a cute uh, identifier. There's a there's a uh, a round of colder air that in a typical uh, winter season will just sort of circulate around the Arctic uh, Circle, around the Arctic Ocean, over the North Pole. And there are times when the atmosphere uh, conditions kind of weaken and allow that colder air to uh, funnel farther south. And that's what we're getting right now. We had that about five years ago. Uh, it was a little bit later in developing. Uh, it was more in February, but it happened five years ago. We've got it going on again today, and or this week, I should say. And the uh, the surface features that are allowing this to uh, kind of enhance uh, are identified by a large area of high pressure that is along the west coast of North America. And so we have uh, a real uh, warm uh, scenario over the western United States, west of the Rockies, or as east of the Rockies, uh, here this uh, cold air uh, path is pretty well identified, and uh, it's moving in, and it's going to settle in for a while because it likes the neighborhood. Hmm. 
whether we like it or not, it, it seems to like us. We're talking with DTO well, meteorologist yeah, Bryce Anderson. There, you know. Yeah, that's right. Bryce, uh, what about precipitation this week? Uh, precip is going to be varied, and, and uh, the obviously the uh, the areas around the Great Lakes are, are getting a pretty good snowstorm right now and will continue to do so. We will see some uh, areas of uh, light snow and maybe a little bit of light rain along the edges of the Arctic cold front uh, that uh, develop, and so there will be some some rounds of precip in you know, parts of the southern plains and, and the southeastern plains and then over into the eastern Midwest. But the main feature is just going to be this real bitter cold. Now, uh, during uh, next week, uh, there's going to be um, a, a new uh, round of energy that moves in out of the uh, northern latitudes over uh, the north-central part of the country, giving us another shot of snow probably the first of next week in the northern Midwest. But um, even though uh, precipitation isn't necessarily that, that great, maybe no more than like a quarter to a half an inch, that can still occur as several inches of snow, uh, depending on the the uh, moisture content of the snowfall, and then you combine that with strong winds, you can have uh, real harsh snowstorm conditions, even with not a whole lot of actual moisture. Yeah, the winds are a big part of this as well. Oh, they're terrible. And, uh, you know, the pressure gradient is uh, is really uh, quite intense. And so, uh, you know, that takes the wind chill values. Or First of all, the actual wind uh, velocity is going to be in excess of 40 to even 50 miles an hour, and uh, then the wind chill uh, index values get down into the uh, neighborhood of around 30 to 40 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, and, uh, you know, the dangerous cold is going to be uh, a problem for for people, transportation, livestock. I wouldn't even worry out, uh, rule out, rather, I wouldn't even rule out some possible damage to winter wheat. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of cold air that uh, is going to be around, and and uh, it certainly could cause uh, damage that way, particularly in the soft red winter wheat areas. Well, next week is February. What is your, what's your outlook for February? Well, I think February is going to be uh, a kind of disappointing month if uh, if you want to have a you know the the patterns just completely change to a steadily milder trend. Uh, February still looks like to us that it's going to be a, a, a month featuring uh, a, a few more outbreaks of this colder air, maybe not quite as cold as we're getting right now, but still on the below normal temperature side, and uh, a few rounds of wintry precipitation as well. And that goes along with the idea that winter is going to hang on and it's going to be tough to completely let go, and, and spring is likely to be a little bit late in terms of its uh, actual onset. And I know that, that there are growers in the southern Corn Belt uh, who are starting to get a little bit nervous about that because they've got an awful lot to do just to get the fields in shape after going through a wet harvest last year. Yeah, I was talking with some farmers about that just over this past weekend. All right, let's look uh, to South America. What's going on down there? A little bit of a two-way deal in Brazil, actually, which is uh, very interesting here. Um, the, uh, the scenario for this week in Brazil is still looking on the hotter and drier side, and uh, so that is not looking favorable for south-central and eastern Brazil. Central Brazil did get some rainfall over the weekend, 
but um, the the upper air pattern, a large area of high pressure kind of over central Brazil that kept things on the hot and dry side the last couple months, there are signs in the U.S. model today that that feature is going to start weakening during the next uh, 8 to 10 days and may actually completely modify over the next 10 to 14 days to the point that we start to see more rainfall chances in central Brazil, south-central Brazil, along with milder temperatures. And it could be that February shapes up as a better month uh, for, the, uh, for the country of Brazil. And if that's the case, uh, you know, we might not see any more uh, drops in the soybean uh, crop prospects. And there could be a, uh, a little bit better scenario for the soil moisture for that second corn crop, that safrina crop when it's planted. Uh, those are all hints that are going on. So the Brazil trend is not quite as as uh, hard-coded, so to speak, as we've seen over the last month or so. It's been a roller coaster for them, though, hasn't it? Well, it has been, uh, with, uh, the, with the pattern not being maybe as sharply volatile, but certainly some big changes from one period of the season to the other. The uh, season began with a lot of soil moisture, good rainfall, and all that sort of thing back in September and October. And then uh, the end of November, December, and now through January have been a lot drier and uh, quite a bit hotter. And so the last uh, eight weeks have certainly been stressful in that Brazil crop area. And what about Europe and into Russia? There, the, uh, the scenario still doesn't look too bad uh, for that part of the world. They've got uh, decent snow cover. And uh, obviously that helps in terms of uh, keeping the wheat crop pretty well insulated uh, if uh, any real harsh cold does uh, uh, develop. Now, some of the formerly, this is really going back several decades, the former new lands areas of, uh, of, the, uh, of Russia uh, in Siberia and then on through Kazakhstan, they may have... Uh, some very cold conditions, uh, kind of similar to what we're seeing here in the central part of the U.S. And if there's a, a problem area in, in that Europe and Asia uh, large sector of the world, I would say it would be in that uh, portion of the eastern Russia, then through Kazakhstan, grain country. But uh, at this point, that's still kind of a fringe component of the uh, total uh, wheat belt. I, one area of the world, Mike, I do want to mention uh, that we haven't talked about uh, habitually has been uh, Australia. And uh, eastern Australia has been uh, truly hot and dry. Uh, the sorghum crop in Australia is already uh, getting withered, uh, and uh, the wheat crop we know is already uh, quite, quite a bit lower in eastern Australia because of how dry it was. All right. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, we'll bundle up, try to stay warm. Thanks. Certainly will, Mike. Thank you. All right. Take care. Coming up next, we will talk with the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson, on AOA Adams on Agriculture. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. 
and that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A meeting between China's vice premier and U.S. officials, including U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer in Washington midweek, will be closely watched by the grain markets to see if there's any confirmation of increased Chinese agricultural purchases. Caterpillar Incorporated setting lower than expected profit targets for 2019 as China's slowing economy weighs on the machinery company. A growing number of industrial companies have said they're making fewer sales in China, threatening a strong three-year run for U.S. manufacturers. Caterpillar has said that up to 10% of its sales are made in China. Export sales data that was not released during the government shutdown is expected to come out this week as USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service recovers from a 35-day lapse of funding. The department says export sales will be clarified this week. Those numbers could provide some sticker shock to grain traders, perhaps. In soybean futures, we're trending defensively early week, some five to six and a fraction lower. The bean market testing resistance on the March contract at 926 and a half, the high from January 9th. We're at 919 a bushel, down six and a quarter, an hour into the trading day. In corn, the March contract down a penny and a fraction at 378 and a half. Chicago wheat march down two and a half cents at 517 and a half. Minneapolis march down a fraction, 574. Kansas City march at 506 and a quarter, down three and a quarter. Livestock of American live cattle futures, February 30 cents higher at 126.35. March feeder cattle up 82 at 144.45. Lean hogs, February down a dime at 58.27. The Dow down 303 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Good to have with us the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson. Mr. Chairman, thanks for joining us. Yep. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Good to talk with you. Let's uh, talk about the government getting up and going again. And, well, we've got a three-week 
period here, this three-week window, or how do you feel about uh, avoiding another shutdown at the end of this three weeks? Well, hopefully uh, uh, people will be not be dumb enough to do that again. There's <laughs> <laughs> you know, no good outcome. I mean, no, nobody ends up winning that. So, but, you know, if people haven't learned their lesson now, you know, God help them. You know, so <laughs> I don't know. But I'm not in charge of it. Let's uh, look ahead to some things you are in charge of. That's going to be the activities of the House Ag Committee. There's been a lot of talk about uh, incoming um, uh, Democrats into the House and how environment and climate change and global warning, warming, these are going to be big issues for them. Uh, will it be a big issue for the for your committee, the House Ag Committee? Well, it's one of the things that, uh, <clears throat> that we'll look at. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it depends on whether anybody comes up with, you know, um, effective ideas on how to uh, deal with this. But, um, you know, we're already doing a lot in agriculture, um, you know, that I don't think we're getting a whole lot of credit for in terms of the way we've changed farming procedures, the CSP program that rewards farmers for, uh, you know, not uh, mobile and prowling and so forth. Um, so we've done a lot in agriculture already, you know. So the issues, um, you know, that are going to be uh, brought up, uh, you know, if, if they come up with good ideas, we will look at them. Um, and we'll just have to see what how it develops. I think on this issue with agriculture, a lot of times we remember in the past, and it seems like it turned into more regulations and more restrictions and things like that. Uh, so that's always a concern. But on the other hand, I was just at the National Biodiesel Conference last week, and there was a lot of talk about this could be an opportunity for biofuels to really uh, uh, get more of an emphasis. Uh, how do you look at it from an agricultural standpoint? Well, uh, you know, we, we were able to get the um, increases in bioethanol uh, because of a coalition that we put together with uh, you know, some of the environmental groups and uh, in agriculture to get, you know, uh, additional blending, um, uh, you know, and so forth for corn ethanol by, uh, you know, p- putting in some incentives for cellulosic ethanol. <clears throat> uh, now, as it has progressed, what's happened, in my opinion, is the environmental folks, um, you know, the uh, cellulosic has not taken off because, Frankly, the economics don't work, um, and they're not happy, and so they've kind of turned on corn ethanol. Uh, I don't know if it's the only reason, but, uh, you know, they don't like corn. They don't like fertilizer and so forth. And so that coalition has gone away, and it's part of the reason it's been made harder for us to get E15. So, you know, it, it could be, but um, it's a double-edged sword, I think, uh, you know, you're getting in a coalition with folks that uh, don't necessarily understand what we do in production agriculture. So, again, we'll just have to take it as it comes and see uh, what opportunities are there. Uh, you know, the biodiesel people haven't um, benefited because they're in with the advanced, so-called advanced biofuels, which is, um, you know, what uh, um, cellulosic is also involved in. And so because they got to be in advanced biofuels, uh, you know, they have not uh, come under the same scrutiny, if you will, from the environmental community as uh, corn ethanol has. 
So we'll see how that all progresses. But, uh, you know, what, whatever we can do to improve the uh, market for uh, E15 and for biodiesel, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I think there's an opportunity there. But also, as you said, it just depends on what direction this whole uh, uh, discussion takes. And you, you never know, as we've seen in the past, what uh, you can get off 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 track pretty easy so we'll we'll see which way it goes all right let's talk about with the government back going and can get back to implementing the farm bill i know dairy is an area that you work very closely on there's some things in the farm bill uh to help uh you expressed concerns though at the time uh, of the passage of the farm bill uh that you're concerned there's not enough help in there for agriculture in general uh Talk more about your thoughts on that and your concerns moving forward and what maybe could be done uh, to help more. Well, um, you know, I am speculating um, on what uh, what I see uh, coming in the on the horizon. Uh, I could be wrong, and uh, so you know, we now the farm bill is done; uh, it's in place. So we're going to have to live with what's there. Uh, but I am concerned because we. Continue to have low prices. Uh, now we have this trade uncertainty that's uh, not helping the situation. And I'm hearing from bankers that they're starting to be concerned about, uh, um, you know, where people are at, and there's going to be maybe some people that aren't going to get financed this year. You know, we have avoided the problem because we've had big crops, um, you know, and that's offset the low prices. This last year, um, you know. Part of my district uh, had very poor crops, and so now that's starting to uh, to bind, if you will. And uh, if we have another year of poor crops, and I'm concerned about where this is heading. But, you know, the farm bill is what it is. Uh, we're going to have to live with it. And, uh, you know, the, in the case of dairy, um, that, I believe, is adequate if people will uh, take time to understand uh, the new program and uh, sign up for it. I think it gives small dairy farmers the uh, help that they need to stay in business. So is that part of it I'm uh, comfortable with. People will use it. Um, you know, so we'll just have to see how that all plays out. I, I just, you know, one thing I want to say, I've uh, visited FSA offices and uh, talked to employees during this uh, shutdown. And I was not aware that uh, even though FSA employees are implementing uh, guaranteed or uh, mandatory programs, uh, they're not allowed to. Uh, the USDA is not allowed to to uh, keep them in, uh, on staff so they can do these mandatory programs. In the case of NRCS, uh, there is some ability there for them to keep the NRCS people on board because they are implementing mandatory programs. One of the things I'm going to look at uh, is making some changes uh, that would uh, say that if uh, people are uh, are implementing and working on mandatory programs that are part of the farm bill, that there has to be uh, funding taken out of CCC or some other place to keep those folks in place if we have another shutdown. Um, I, you know, I just uh, don't agree with OMB when they say that they have to send all these people home. So we're going to be taking a look at that, and we're going to see uh, if there's a way to do this. I'm sure there's going to be a score on this. We're going to have this looked at, but um, it, it is something that I've, you know, farmers say to me, well, what the heck's going on? The NRCS is, uh, office is open, but the FSA isn't, and it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. And finally, your thoughts on the, the battle that's probably looming over 
the Canada-Mexico uh, trade deal, uh, USMCA. How do you see that playing out? Uh, we've, we're starting to hear some groups say this needs to be changed, that needs to be changed. How do you view it moving forward and getting it done? I, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of the authority to, to figure out how to do that. Um, I, uh, even though I haven't got all the details, and I'm going to meet with Lighthizer today to talk about this some more, but but I'm going to support it because um, they didn't uh, really do any harm. Um, they didn't um, do that much good, but, uh, you know, we did maintain, I think, System similar to what we had with uh, NAFTA. Now, now we do have these problems out there with the uh, tariffs that are affecting hogs, uh, you know, in, uh, into Mexico and uh, 20% uh, tariffs because of the aluminum and steel situation. But that's really not going to be resolved with this new agreement. That's uh, tied up in, in other areas. So, you know, I, I was concerned when they first started off that we were going to end up. Uh, in agriculture uh, going backwards. And, um, you know, uh, I think we held our own. We improved a little bit here and there. Uh, we didn't lose anything of any significance. So I'm going to support it. I came out early uh, hoping that my leadership would um, bring some people along. But uh, there are a lot of folks um, in our party that are very skeptical of this, and, and I don't know how this is going to move ahead. But uh, hopefully it will. Yeah, it's going to be a key battle ahead, that's for sure. As always, thank you for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking with you often and uh, and finding out about the different uh, things that you're working on there, the House Ag Committee. Mr. Chairman, as always, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Colin Peterson. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, during the shutdown, we saw NRCS stay open, but FSA closed down. He says he's going to look into... Uh, Seeing about getting that changed if there is another government shutdown in the future. Always a possibility, that's for sure. Well, a lot of focus this week on talks with China. Erin Ennis is Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. She's just back from China. We'll get her thoughts on what she heard there and kind of preview this week's talks. That's next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt 
give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Lots of anticipation for more trade talks this week with China. Joining us now is Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Just back from China. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Tell us about your trip, what you heard and saw there. Hi, Mike. Um, it was a good trip. Um, it, was, it was a good example of the instance that it's really great to get um, direct conversations with people to hear what's going on. The mood generally was positive, that there is progress potential between the discussions, but also some caution. There's still a month to go. The Chinese vice premier will be here this Thursday, or Wednesday and Thursday of this week, Um, but there's still going to be another month to go in negotiations after that. So um, I don't think we are expecting any major outcomes this week, but it seems like things are moving generally in the right direction. I mentioned the anticipation here in the U.S. Uh, for these talks. Is there that kind of high-level anticipation in China as well? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, they don't send vice premiers overseas to do negotiations um, if they don't feel like they have the potential of having a, a useful outcome. Uh, so I don't think there's a, a preconceived notion that everything's going to be fine this week. But I think a, a general sense that the two sides are at least talking about uh, issues that they can make some progress on. I was going to say, ask you, what are realistic expectations for the talks this week? Yeah, I think realistically what we should be thinking, what we should be looking for is uh, the two sides um, hopefully talking in detail. I mean, that's, that's the part that's been kind of missing to this point of the the Chinese have made an offer in response to some U.S. asks, and having them now haggle out some of those details. Uh, there were reportedly 142 items that the U.S. asked about. That's a lot to go through, so I doubt that they are working on all 142, but on but probably have prioritized. And so this week, what we hope for is that they have they come up with a path forward on those, and then narrow the number of things that still have to be negotiated. Yeah, I was, how do you see this playing out? I mean, is there going to be this one big announcement of a big deal, or do you just see uh, small steps of improvement as we continue to work towards something, uh, an end game here as far as intellectual property and a lot of those types of things? How do you see it playing out? I think probably it's going to be um, a combination, if that's possible. I don't anticipate a big announcement this week. I think any announcement probably is going to be closer to the March 1 deadline for the 90 days of negotiating period. But in the interim, I do think that we will begin to see some announcements that are being made that are going to be part of what that final package looks like. So, for instance, uh, I believe it's been a couple of weeks ago now, China announced the approval of a variety of uh, GMOs that had been pending for quite a while in China. Today we learned that one of the U.S. credit rating agencies, S&P Global, was issued its uh, business license to own 100% of its operations in China. These are both issues which we anticipate were probably part of the uh, elements of what the United States is looking for in the negotiation. So the tally list will be a combination of the things that we're seeing between you know October of last year and now, and then hopefully a plan of action with whatever the remaining items are that will include a plan to remove the tariffs that both sides have been put into place. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, what impact has this trade war with China ha- had 
on China. When you were over there, what did you see? What did you hear as far as the impact on them? So China's economy is a lot more complex than I think we frequently give it credit for. Uh, they have been moving toward the more consumer-driven economy for several years. So there definitely has been some impact of the tariffs on China's manufacturing sector, but that is not throughout the country. The, the rest of the country where they have a lot more of a services-driven economy or where they are consuming the products that are being made seems to be generally doing okay, though they are slowing down. Some of that was anticipated. They, they had been growing at such phenomenal rates for so many years that what China has been trying to do is manage a soft landing, as they keep referring to it, versus a hard landing where the economy just crashes. The tariffs and the tariffs with the United States have complicated that. So a lot of sensitivity about trying to find the right path forward to ensure that not only the issues are addressed in the trading relationship, but that they aren't prolonged in a way that makes that soft landing more difficult. There's been a lot of speculation, especially from an agricultural standpoint. What's the long-range impact of this? Does this shift more of their business to South America, say for soybeans and things like that? Uh, how do you view the overall picture beyond agriculture, the impact of this long-term? So there, there's always a risk when your customer finds that they can find a comparable product for a comparable price that you might not get your market share back. So that's not, that's not unique to agriculture. That is true of other goods and services providers as well. And there certainly is the risk that if tensions remain high between the United States and China, that the United States won't be a preferred provider. Chinese customers may choose to try to to purchase more product and diversify their reliance away from the U.S. economy. I don't think that's something that can happen in the short term, so it definitely is a long-term consideration. And it's something that the more that the two sides are able to engage and reduce the tensions, I think the risk of that is lessened as well. So it's not like they'll quit buying from us, but whether or not they buy as much or can we actually grow that market share like many had hoped, uh, that remains to be seen. Exactly. I mean, in agriculture in particular, U.S. farmers are among the most efficient and, and capable in the world. And so there are few others that even in combination could fully replace what the U.S. provides. But there definitely has been more talk in China, and I heard it when I was there last week, from those who have felt that, that perhaps China became too dependent on imports from the United States in certain product categories. What that looks like in the short term probably is not much different than what we have right now because, again, they can't. China only has so much arable land, and right now our trading partners can only produce so much product to meet the demand in China. But as if China chooses to diversify away from the United States, it could be a challenge. Aaron, as always, thanks for your perspective. We'll talk again after the talks this week, okay? Sounds great, Mike. Thank you. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President with U.S.-China Business Council. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for being with us. Again, great to have KKOW 860 AM Pittsburgh, Kansas on with us here on AOA. Have a great day, everyone.